Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning. We are so glad you've come to join us this morning. We're going to be talking about a topic today that hits home for every combat veteran, uh, every first responder. It's it's something that hits even normal civilians from having experiences, traumatic experiences. And we're going to talk about an organization today that is dealing with PTSD and how to how to mitigate the symptoms and manage the symptoms to give you a life as normal as possible. Even though we know that these experiences do change your life, things can be managed if managed the right way. And we're having a wonderful guest today named Tom Spooner. And Tom was a Green Beret in the Special Forces Group and ultimately was uh, in the U.S. Army's First, I have to read this part, Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta. So is that commonly known, Tom, as Delta Force? Yes, ma'am, it is. I thought so. Okay. I also have my wonderful co-host with me, Les Davis. Good morning, Les. Good morning. We are going to talk about the very important and, and constant need for how to mitigate the after effects of combat traumatic experience and and I would venture to say this year has been a collective trauma for the nation as a whole with isolation, pandemic, rules, regulations, um, orders. And we're not used to taking orders from our government uh, when you haven't raised your right hand. So there's an awful lot that's going on. And I would love to talk further with Tom. So, Tom, let's start out. Let's talk about first how you decided that you really needed to heal other people, but it was because of what you experienced, correct? That's correct. And um, so whenever I uh, I was in the military from 1990 to uh, 2001, uh, mm-hmm. just a brief history, I was in the 82nd for five years. I was in the first Gulf War. Uh, I was in seven special forces group uh, for six mm-hmm. years, and then I was an operator out at Delta from 2001 to 2011, I did 12 combat deployments, and I have 40 total months' time in combat. And I retired in 2011. And um, during my military time, a few key things is is that uh, I got sober back in 1992. I struggled with alcoholism at a young age and then in early in the military. But I got sober and I was super passionate uh, about sobriety and about helping others out, even throughout my military career. Um, and then whenever I got out in 2011, I got very involved uh, with veteran suicide. Uh, it was mm-hmm. back in 2011, so, you know, there wasn't even – people didn't really even know that the 22 right. a day existed during that time frame. Uh, and then due to friends of mine and people that I knew uh, in the military and veterans that, that had taken their own lives, you know, it was very close uh, – and I struggled with a lot of PTS, and I had mild traumatic brain injury. So mm-hmm. um, very familiar, very close to it, uh, you know, and I wanted to continue to serve. Um, 
so can you know continued to work uh, in the suicide prevent prevention and that piece of it. And what I noticed is that uh, the majority, not all, but the majority of those folks that you know take their own lives, usually when they do the act, uh, they're on something, whether it's a prescription drug, illicit drug, uh, or you know, or alcohol. So, mm -hmm. uh, so it's like, hey, how do we get in front of this? Uh, suicide epidemic, you know, and um, well, the only way to get in front of it really is uh, that I have found, you know, when is in the chemical dependency uh, self-medication world, you know, because if we can address it there, then in theory, then they don't end up, you know, um, on the su on the suicide statistic. So, I'm super passionate about sobriety, super passionate uh, about serving uh, and helping active duty military and veterans and uh, law enforcement and first responders. And uh, in 2016, we created Warrior's Heart. Uh, and it's the only facility in the nation uh, that helps only uh, the warrior class. That, and that's active duty military veterans, first responders, law enforcement. And uh, since then, we've had about 1,300 folks uh, come through uh, our facility there in Texas. That's fantastic. Les, I'd love you to speak to the fact that veterans need to keep contributing because you are one of them. Yeah, yeah I, I, I am. And, and I, the same thing that uh, a similar a passion of yours is, Tom, is a passion of mine. And when I, when I got out, I, I started, uh, but I, I did on the education side, I, nowhere near what you're doing and nor the importance of what you're doing. It's pretty incredible. Um, one of the things that, that I was reading in our notes, Linda, was, uh, and Tom, is <clears throat> that you feel that um, veterans feel better, comfortable talking to veterans. In your, right. in your facility here in Texas, is, is, are your counselors, are they, um, are they all veterans or uh, family members of veterans that you have talking to the, the, the inpatients? Right. So uh, the, the, the other clients uh, are... Uh, you know, that's why we kept it in that population because, you know, have that peer network. And then some of our clinicians, because we have our licensed uh, chemical dependency counselors and we have our LPCs that deal with trauma. So we deal with the chemical dependency uh, and the trauma. Some of them, to your question, Les, some of them uh, are veterans. Uh, and then other ones are not veterans, but just like you mentioned, they have a tie, most of them, the majority of their family members, you know, have ties into the military, were in the military. And, um, and so there's a, it's a special group of folks that we have out there, uh, you know, to handle our population. And almost to your question, Les, almost all of them uh, are 100% tied to the community, uh, at, usually at a familial level. When I was putting together uh, this at the schools I was um, overseeing, what we would do, we would tie veterans. Uh, once they would open up or once we had found out they had PTSD, we would always tie them in with a mentor who was always another veteran on campus. And right. whenever you've seen them either kind of slipping or zoning out, we'd always, the instructor would, we, we just trained them up to, hey, look at this guy or tap him on the shoulder so he could go and be with his peer. And I right. and just that my personal experience with that, I think it really helped them uh, get through school and get through the day. Uh, you know, so maybe Absolutely. maybe just a, just a few minutes. Maybe it's just taking them down to get a cup of coffee or a coke or a bottle of water or something. Uh, exactly. Yeah. What are you doing? What's um? 
was causing it, or just, you know, maybe they just had to get out of that that situation for just that just that moment. So I, I love the fact that uh, it seems like the peer to peer or the some you know the family members of the Titan is there. And I personally, I would rather talk to a veteran too if I'm going, if I'm having an issue, somebody I can relate to. Absolutely. Um, what I find is interesting that um, when warriors talk to civilians, they are often completely misunderstood. And it is not intentional because I think people have been working very hard to honor those who serve and they just don't know what to do. So in order to help, if you don't know what someone has experienced and you haven't educated yourself, which would be the vast majority of the civilian population, not out of malice or disinterest, but out of simply it's not part of their life experience, you really have zeroed in on using those who can best help. And I imagine that just changes everything. It does, you know, and, and that's the, that's the thing about warrior's heart is like, uh, you know, we meet them where they're at. Uh, some of our folks that come in, you know, or say are on active duty or active police officers or firefighters and, um, you know, they haven't lost their job, they haven't lost their family, they haven't got in trouble, but, you know, hey, they're having issues, you know, with some self-medication, you know, when they come in uh, on a 42-day inpatient treatment, you know, they get trained up, they get cleaned up, and they go right back into the fight, uh, you know, and they're better at their job, they're better family members and all that piece. And then we have other folks that have come in, other veterans, you know, that, that are homeless, you know, so we meet each one where they are, and we provide what they need individually because uh, some folks may need uh, more than others. But the real, we keep touching on it, the real glue that holds it together is is that, you know, they have that peer network amongst themselves. I mean, even though a, a stateside paramedic and a combat veteran, their physical experiences are much different, the things that are eating them up inside are exactly the same whether it was the kids in car wrecks, you know, or kids getting killed on the battlefield or, you know, just all of the trauma that occurs within the profession, you know, as a byproduct of the job that they're in. So they all have that common thread of, of service uh, mm-hmm. and mission. And so, you know, they don't have, you know, a, a, a cop sitting next to a drug dealer is not going to work out very good, you know, and a, and a veteran sitting next to a business guy, you know, even though they need to do the same things to get better principally, you know, there's no way to create really that peer, a true peer network unless someone is truly a peer. So mm-hmm. the, there's a huge strength uh, that comes from that. And you mentioned the word mentorship, you know, and um, the cool thing about our population is, is that mentorship occurs naturally, Um you know, because we serve and, and we're teammates and we and when we see a teammate that's down, we try to pick them up, you know. And um, so my example of that, if you guys are sitting around the fire pit in the evening and you have someone that is, you know, he's on his second day there and he's thinking about ways of trying to get the hell out of there. And then you got another guy or gal, you know what I mean, that's, you know, on day 41 and they're getting ready to leave and go back home, you know, and live sober, confident warrior. You know, they're able to look at them and say, like, hey, man. I was thinking the same thing that you're thinking, you know, and the next thing you know, mm-hmm. a conversation occurs and, and we call it, I mean, we know that it's mentorship, but it's, it, it occurs naturally just within the population. So it's just an amazing thing to see. 
I love that we have to go on our first break. And sure. when we come back, I would love to talk about the successes you've had and some of the hurdles that may still exist that you're working through because everything evolves and based on those that you're working with. So we will go on a quick break. We're talking to Tom Spooner today about Warriors Heart, uh, the organization, and a new program called Warriors Anonymous. And we'll be back after this short message. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. You'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. have heard that nine players shot a hole in one during the 80th edition of the 2016 Masters Tournament recently held at Augusta National Golf Club. What are the odds of a professional golfer making an ace? About 2,500 to one. Those are pretty tough odds. However, it's 10 times easier to shoot a hole in one while golfing than it is to score a perfect 300 game while bowling. Danny Willett won his first major championship with a score of 283. When golf was first introduced in 1848, the golf ball was called a gutta percha ball. Gutta percha is a substance obtained from an evergreen tree of East Asia and also used by dentists to fill cavities. A mashy niblick is another name for an old number six iron. But a ball is just a ball, no matter how you cut it. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Tom Spooner of Warrior's Heart. And the interesting thing that we talk about on break is that many programs um, really don't supply services for both male and female veterans uh, or male and female paramedics or EMT, etc., first responders. And we, we talked about the fact that they do. And so was there any consideration when you first began that you had to be all-inclusive so that you could really address the problem from a global standpoint as opposed to just a, a microcosm? Absolutely. Uh, you know, because from the get-go, I mean, we had a – basically, we could have chose to, hey, just serve veterans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we automatically included not just veterans because it only makes sense to include in that all of our – people that protect us, you know, our, vet, you know, our military keeps us safe uh, out, you know, from foreigners, I mean, in foreign lands, 
you know, in our in our first responders, you know, keep us safe here at home. So it's the same thing. So we included all those. And then it was a very easy decision for us to make that is like, well, we also treat male and female. Um, so it was never really a, a question for us because uh, would it be easier to just uh, treat males? You know, of course, but I've never been one to choose the easy route, you know, so it's, uh, <laughs> and we just wanted to. Right. And we want to address the whole problem, you know, and uh, and we cannot exclude, you know, our female uh, veterans and everything. So, you know, obviously there's uh, different uh, there's different when I say strategies that we use because yes, it is a a male female mixed population, but obviously they have their own living quarters, you know, that are female living quarters, uh, and there does come up, and you know, we will always put female counselors, especially the trauma counselors, you know, and because uh, a lot of females, you know, and a lot of males also, which people don't really know, is uh, you hear a lot about military sexual trauma, you know, MST. Right. And um, so, you know, it's very important that we mitigate any and all kinds of risk, you know, so we have our female counselors, female trauma counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, the segregation piece, but the bigger thing is, is that, you know, is that uh, you know, most of this population doesn't want to be excluded. You know, the females were, you know, in the military, they used to working in a male dominant, uh, you know, right. organization. So it's not unfamiliar to them. That's the thing that about Warriors Heart, everything we do out there is very familiar uh, to where they came from. And um, yeah, and it's one of the things that we're super proud of, you know, is to be able to to treat females there also. Talk about the program itself. You said there are three stages of programming that you offer. And let me take another step back. How do people come to you? Is it referral? Do they just find you? How How does it work? Yeah. Yeah, how how they come to us is is usually, I mean, we've got some, you know, the normal, uh, you know, Internet aspects of it. But then we get referrals from the, the VA through the Mission Act. Uh, so they come as far as folks with the VA. We're also TRICARE approved, and we also take all kinds of other insurances. So all, all of those referral systems come through, but a lot of it is just family members and word of mouth, you know, that get on get on the Internet and they start searching for, uh, you know, uh, drug and alcohol rehab centers or, you know, something like that, you know, and they find out who we are. But we do have like we're in contract and in network, you know, with TRICARE East and West. So mm-hmm. we we do everything on our end to mitigate, uh, you know what I mean, or, or try to eliminate the barriers to entry uh, in all aspects, whether that's financial, uh, whether it's just knowing that we exist and, uh, and creating relationships uh, with the VAs uh, and with other hospitals. Mm-hmm. Tom, can you um... – Talk to us uh, about the 42-day inpatient and outpatient um, care you have. Sure. Yeah, and uh, that's the the different categories that we have is we have our 42-day inpatient treatment, and then we have uh, kind of if you look at it as a step-down method, then the next thing that we have is uh, intensive outpatient treatment, which basically is is a half a day of – of, of therapies, group therapies, and one-on-ones. And then um, 
We also have what we call sober living, which provides a safe, secure environment uh, that offers them more freedoms, you know, to get jobs, to do volunteer work, but also, uh, you know, have several requirements of doing step work, talking to their sponsors, be it going to groups. So it's a structured living environment. So those are the three different categories uh, of healing that we currently have. What I noticed also is you have two meetings a week on Zoom. Um, can you talk about that and where would they, is that something on your website? Is that something on Facebook, something they got to sign up for? Sure. So what you're talking about there is, uh, is, is called Warriors Anonymous. And, um, and so those different sites, so everything that we did at Warriors Heart um, and that we proofed out, which we knew would, would you know, is that the need of, uh, like-minded folks, right? Everybody works better with people that they can relate to, whether it's a group of doctors, whether it's a group of football players or a group of warriors. And so um, we created Warriors Anonymous. Uh, but what Warriors, all that Warriors Anonymous is, it's a um, sanctioned Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, uh, but it's a specialty meeting where it's warriors. And warriors defined is, is that Anyone who faces life and death on a daily basis as a profession, you know, is that's who's included. And so it's a regular meeting, uh, you know, when we really kicked it off when COVID started back in March. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as far as the online aspect of it. So the and, and, and it's not anything that's not normal within, say, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. They have specialty meetings, whether it's a men's meeting a women's meeting or a young people's meeting. This one is just a warrior's meeting. So it still follows the same 12 steps, same 12 traditions, and it gives them this, this environment uh, that, again, is back to, uh, you know, the peers. And uh, we have those, you know, they had more of them when COVID wasn't too bad inside, on site. Uh, we had one in Georgia and we had one in Texas and one in Oklahoma. But now, you know, we have two meetings that we sponsor, uh, Warriors Anonymous meetings, two meetings a week. But there's basically uh, on Zoom, you know, they have several folks have started it in multiple states uh, with multiple uh, people that get on there. And it's absolutely amazing. And some folks, depending on uh, where they're, they're at and whatever their restrictions are in the cities where they're at, you know, it's usually the only place that they can they can touch back to, you know, and talk about, hey, how do I, how do I get through all this, you know, uh, on top of everything that I already have, right. you know, so it's, it's a huge asset. You know, it's interesting because I've known many, many vets. Um, I've worked 14 years now working with wounded warriors and their issues and they're usually with their caregivers. And there is often great reluctance to admit that there is a problem. And oftentimes it's the family members who say, you either get help or I'm leaving. And Absolutely. You, yes. And so do you find that family members have reached out to you? And, and what do you do in that sort of situation? Because the person has to be willing to participate for it to be effective. Yeah. I, I, using a safe number, I would say 50% of the people you know, that come through Warrior's Heart have the initial conversations that we've had with them at the admissions advocates, you know, with either with a family or a friend. 
mm-hmm. uh, not the individual. <laughs> so it doesn't it's, surprise um, me. Yeah, no, not surprising at all. And then the good thing about with our, I mean, we call them admissions advocates because, you know, they advocate for, you know, the, the clients that want to come in. Mm-hmm. And so they help help coach them along uh, with some folks along the way. But but you, you said a key point, Linda, and that was is that they have to be willing. Um, you know, that the key thing uh, with anyone in anything is that in order for me to uh, get better, uh, at whatever it is that I'm doing, then I have to be willing to ask for help, seek that help, and then execute, you know, I mean, that, you know, receiving that help. Uh, and it's a super hard thing to do, whether it's because of ego. I know one of the reasons that made it really difficult for me to come forward about my PTS and TBI was that uh, it was very confusing to me because he's like, hey, how did I go from the guy? Uh, that, you know, jumps tall buildings with a single bound. And, like, you know, I help mm-hmm. people. Like, my job, my passion, my love is, you know, I provide protection. Like, I really, you know, help people. So how did I go from being the guy that's helping people to now the guy that needs help? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was very confusing for me. But thank God for me, I had other warriors in my life uh, and incredible family members, you know, that, that said, like, hey, you, you know, you really need to get help. Or this isn't going to work out, you know. And um, right. and so I personally can relate what you said, Linda. And then, you know, in 28 years that I've been doing this kind of work, uh, you know, that's the only way uh, that anyone gets better is by being willing to get help. But it's also being surrounded by people who are willing to communicate and trust and allow the vulnerability and keep communicating because if you don't keep communicating, that's when we lose people. Um, engagement, yeah. we're meant to be around other people. And if our experiences are pushing them away, it's especially difficult to be around them. And, and I know many families who, who said, I, I can't deal with this any longer. What do we do? Right. And so you have to look out for the safety of the family, of course. But 100%. you also are trying to help the veteran. And so these are difficult conversations. We have about a minute and a half. Well, we have a minute left now. Uh, (laughs) Start on this and we'll continue after the break. When you're first initiating um, or someone calls, walk us through what that looks like. So someone calls Warrior's Heart and they talk to an admission advocate. You have Uh about 25 seconds. (laughs) <laughs> so the first thing that we do is, uh, number one, our, and I'll just get through this piece of it, but our mission advocates, uh, you know, also are veterans, uh, you know, first respond or first responders, again, or, or they have family members. So already they have a connection to uh, the person that calls on the other line. So it's not just like calling someone who doesn't understand. They're immediately getting on the phone with someone uh, who absolutely, to some, you know, to a very great degree, we've got to understands take a break. We'll be co- right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. 
Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. You'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now as the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Riles, is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. the United States Postal Service successfully ships over 160 billion packages and letters with bills traveling through the mail at twice the speed of checks. Automated sorting machines read zip codes and directs the mail to the proper destination. But last year, they failed to read some 2.4 billion pieces of mail, all because of cacography. That's bad handwriting. So what happens to all that errant mail? The post office hires more than 700 postal clerks to decipher the most difficult ones. When a sorting machine discovers an illegible address, it scans and sends a digital image to the clerk's computers. Amazingly, the average clerk can crack the code in just three seconds. Not everyone can keep up, though, as management at the post office is always pushing the envelope. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. Um, Les and Tom, we were talking on the break about the fact that when someone calls in and they reach an admission advocate, that is a huge step that someone took. To, to make that call. But let's assume that those are not in the 50% you said, but it's a friend or a family member. Getting mm-hmm. the vet to come to the phone or to make a call themselves or to chat or whatever it might be, text messaging, they're always usual many means. If they are not convinced that they have a problem, if they are smoking weed and drinking and uh, have pain from injuries and they're on oxy and all sorts of meds because we do know that the VA does prescribe a lot of meds, although they're now taking them off the meds abruptly, all of which to say that it's a complex situation that you're often dealing with. Walk us through a typical call and then how you get the veteran involved and, and accepting and trusting. Yeah, so that's uh, the it's like we mentioned. Amazing first thing is the amazing admission advocates that we have. You know, some of them are veterans themselves, uh, some of them are in recovery themselves, and all of them have ties to the community. Like I said, being family members, so they can already have at least a relation, you know, with with who the family member that calls in. Uh, and a lot of times, what they do is is they provide, lack of better words, kind of provide coaching because a family member, let's say for an example, will call and say, "This is what my husband or my wife is doing. Uh, you know, I just don't know what to do." You know, and then so they just start with a conversation. You know, and our admissions advocate do the best of their ability to go into their world. You know, and then uh, so sometimes they do coaching on how to talk to the veterans you know, of, uh, of the options that are, are, but somewhere through that connection, they eventually have to get the veteran on the phone, you know, or the, or the warrior on the phone. And, um, mm-hmm. 
And then once when they get them on the phone, then they, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of convincing going on. There's some great, wonderful conversations, uh, you know, and we have a great and incredible program that doesn't exist anywhere in the U.S. that way. So it kind of sells, lack of a better word, sells itself. Mm-hmm. And um, so then once they, that veteran, let's say just an example, talking about a veteran, that veteran says, okay, you know, I, I want to come to work. Like, okay, you've convinced me or I've decided or like, hey, yes, I want to come. You know what I mean? Then that, then that begins the process. Uh, and it's a screening process. Uh, because we're not a lockdown facility, um, we get the screening process very right. Uh, you know, uh, it's a totally voluntary. If someone wants to leave, uh, they can just leave, you know. So that's a huge aspect also about what it is that we do. And uh, mm-hmm. there are folks that are beyond our level of care. We call that a higher level of care. Uh, but, you know, in most places with folks that don't need a higher level of care are, are warriors, you know, they, they go into a place and the first thing they do is take their shoestrings and their belts and, you know, put pajamas on them and then set, put them in a hospital ward, you know, and that we all know that environment matters for healing, uh, period. Yes. And whether, you know, environment matters. And so anyway, I got a little bit of a sidetrack, but, you know, so they go through the screening process. Uh, then they get an intake date, and then the mission advocates continue to work with uh, the warrior and their family uh, throughout that whole process, all the way to the point to continue to walk you through it, all the way to the point where they get on a plane, they land in San Antonio, they get their bags, and when they get their bags, they have one of our drivers is there waiting for them. Uh, mm. you know, so load them up, bring them about an hour drive out to Bandera, uh, get to Warrior's Heart, uh, and then the first thing that they get told when they get on property is welcome home. Uh, because wow. although they physically home, we all know mentally, emotionally, you know, they're not. Uh, okay. So we say it and we mean it, and that whole process from there forward is about reminding them of who they are, not who they are not, uh, and mm-hmm. getting them back, training them up uh, to be a sober, confident warrior. Uh, and then once they attend that, some of them, like I said, just go right back to where they came from, you know, and, and continue on. Some of them go into intensive outpatient treatment. Some of them go into sober living. So there's, a, again, everyone is so different, and any, everyone handles things so differently, then it only makes sense that we have multiple options. You know, Tom, I, I, I have a, a family member who's recovering from alcohol abuse he's constantly going to AA and constantly taking, seeking treatment because it's, it's never as he puts it, it, it he all he knows he'll never fully recover so he always has to seek treatment and he's not he's never been in the military he's an architect for DOD he's um, right and he, he's saying this basically he fits in better in in areas where other business people or other like-minded people so I, I that that whole your whole setup is exactly what he's told me from his perspective um, what I've also noticed is our, our vets. Um, I don't I don't have a lot of experience working with non-vets like the paramedics and EMTs like like and police officers like you're saying. So like mine is just from the veterans' perspective. Right. When we when we would get them on campus and we would or we would notice the people who the vets who would come in and they were seeking uh, treatment whether it was treatment for TBI or treatment for uh, abuse. 
once uh, now we were a, a maintenance school, but when we see these these little victories they would get, no matter if yes. it, they would get an mm-hmm. engine, they would get an engine started, right? They would work on an electrical system, and then it, they, all the lights would work, or the you know, and and yep. these little victories throughout the day, these little victories throughout the week, and then the semester and the year, these just the tiniest little things just uh, light them up, you know. It would be, just be incredible to watch them, and this those small successes whether it's a five-minute thing or a, a whole semester thing, um, really help them in their treatment. Is that something that you see in yours? I mean, I could be something small, but I, as I noticed as somebody who watched her from afar, they seem to do extremely well when they're, when they're very focused on a project or very focused on themselves, like in this instance. Absolutely, you know, because, you know, just a, as a principle, you know, we have that success and then, and then it creates momentum. Uh, if I have a failure, then it creates another failure. You know, I mean, everything has momentum, and that's what we see out at Warriors Heart. And so everything that we do is about the creative process uh, because they've destroyed a lot of things. They've destroyed a lot of relationships. You know, a lot of destruction has gone on. So everything that we do out there from, from the counseling sessions that they do is about recreating who they are. Um and then that also carries over, like, into the metal shop, into the wood shop. You know, they're using their hands. They're building a flag. They're making an art piece. And then they can set back, and, and it's like, wow, I, I created something uh, that was very productive. And that means something. Uh, it means yeah. something to anyone. But like you said, especially these folks. And then our job out there is to build and to keep moving them forward. Uh, you know, in that momentum of success. Uh, yeah, you're going to have some setbacks, you know, but that's with everything in life. But the big thing is, is that we keep making some progress and we keep moving forward, which all of our veterans are familiar with that. Um, you know, that's that's the military way. It's like, hey, you just keep going. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you make mistakes. Yeah, you have troubles. But remember, we just stay mission focused. We stay on task. We stay on purpose and we get the job done. Everything that we do out there is, is a tr- it's more, they call it a rehab, but it's really a training course, which they're all mm-hmm. very familiar with. So it's like, hey, we learn the training, we execute the training, and then we get a results. And that results is always successful. So to what you were saying last, absolutely, uh, it's one of the key things that we look for uh, in any aspect. Even if that's down at the Bass Lake, they catch a fish. You know, they're, they're all lit up and be like, man, I haven't caught a largemouth bass in so long, you know, and they're happy. You know what I mean? But it's all these, everybody thinks it needs to be these big, huge upheavals and life-changing things, and that's not really how it happens. Mm-hmm. We all know it happens one little one little brick at a time. That, that's what that's what I noticed as well. It's it's not so much, the, the big ones are, gonna, are eventually going to come, but it's the daily small right. ones. That would lead up to those. Uh, and sorry to cut you off, Land. I just this that mm. that point. No, so, keep going. Uh, whether it's like I said, you're you're hooking up a circuit board or hydraulic board or something to the vet right. or braking system to work. And I didn't even know you had that skills, the skill sets on on your campus there. And that's man, that's just fantastic in itself. I I've noticed veterans uh, just in the decade that uh, I worked with them, uh, they are very. Uh, they come out and the small victories, the hands-on, uh, like a lot of what Mike Rowe talks about uh, with the right. the, uh, the daily grind, but, you know, the dirty Mike job. Mike Rowe stuff. is my hero. Uh, <laughs> well, he is. Yeah, I, I we, think that he, yeah, when you get things we, done, 
you you feel accomplishment. So I'm sorry, keep going, Tom. Absolutely, and that's why. Just to mention on that, that's we have a what we call the electives because we do all that hard internal work, you know, whether it's the one-on-one with the counselors or the group therapy or the things that's really super tough, you know, processing uh, trauma and all of those kind of things. So in the afternoons, we have the electives where it's the metal shop, the wood shop, uh, regular art, uh, bass fishing, or more gym time. So that way in that afternoon, you know, it's not free time. You just get to hang out and do nothing. That's one of the things that got them into trouble. So <laughs> it's keeping them forward moving in, in a productive, creative uh, manner. And we give enough options to where they can choose, where it's like, okay, hey, I want to learn how to weld. I've never welded before in my life. Or someone's like, man, I've never painted something. I think it's kind of stupid, but, you know, hey, I'm here. I might as well give it a try, you know. And then next thing you know, it gives them uh, – Either it gives them a, at the minimum, it gives them a hobby uh, to do whenever they leave, because we have to arm with, arm them with the tools that they need to be successful once they leave us. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether it's a hobby and they have their own new little, you know, they get a forge and they start making some tomahawks, or whether they get into art, or next thing you know, they're making wooden flags or whatever. It's uh, everything that we're about. It gives them that time to decompress to process and still be productive and creative because that's all just that's not rocket science like that's something that we all know is good you know we we all know how good it is to be productive and to create uh versus you know destruct i bet it's something you absolutely look forward to uh, you know at the at the break at, at the lunch right i mean i i you know, after setting, and, and you're like you're saying, pretty intense. I bet that's something they absolutely look forward to getting into those shops or getting on the lake to fish. Yeah, uh, gentlemen, I'm sorry we have to go on another break. I could listen to you guys for hours. Uh, we have one last break, and then okay. after the break, I would love to talk about how you integrate the family into this and okay. manage the secondary PTS that is often apparent in in families and children more known as generational PTS. We'll be right back. Don't go away. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. <laughs> I managed to run out of coffee again this morning. I didn't even have enough to make one cup. Boy, was that a miscabobble or big mistake. 
because I make serious coffee so strong it wakes up the neighbors. Now, I don't have a problem with caffeine. I have a problem without caffeine. I get wadgety and brickety. Did you know apples are more efficient than coffee for keeping people awake in the morning? Unfortunately, I didn't have any apples either. Acorns were used as a coffee substitute during the American Civil War. Without my hot cup of coffee in the morning, I'm feeling pretty squirrely myself. What do you call that piece of cardboard that wraps around your coffee cup to keep from burning your hand? A zarf. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Warrior's Heart. And one of the things that I, I found from working with families is that when someone in the family has PTS, seriously enough that it's combined with addiction or alcohol or, or pain meds or whatever it may be, the family has also suffered what we call secondary PTS. And even children are now being known to have generational PTS, and it really does affect people. How do you integrate the family into your Warrior's Heart program? Because when you send someone out from a program with tools and tips, as you say, if they're going into an environment that also doesn't understand what has happened, you, you have a you don't mesh. So I'm presuming that you do programs that help them to receive back and to build new trust with the person who left. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Linda. The uh, so family programming, and so. You know, all of it is contingent, obviously, on on the warrior that's there as far as how much involvement, you know, that it has. But we have the family programming. Uh, Before COVID, you know, every Saturday we had family come out and, uh, you know, and have visitation. And we have family programming. And we go for PTS talks and family dynamics and communications, all the kind of normal stuff that you would have. Mm -hmm. But with COVID, you know, it put some restrictions on that piece. But Regardless of, of COVID, you know, the family program that we do a lot now is, is with the telehealth, you know, is the virtual. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of that stuff uh, occurs, you know, with the one-on-one uh, with the individual counselor because they understand the dynamics of what's going on uh, with the individual and with the family. So the family programming occurs at a very, uh, lack of better words, intimate level, you know, with with the counselor and uh, and the family themselves. And, um, because, you know, much like the, the warriors that come in the full spectrum from, you know, being homeless all the way to, you know, still having their job and all, it's the same way with the families. You have some families that are very supportive and then you have other families that are not, uh, but irrelevant of that, um, you know, everyone has to make progress on it, but just like the individual warrior, being willing to come and seek treatment. The same thing goes for the family is like, Hey, that, that willingness also to acknowledge like, Hey, yeah, you've, you've done a a lot of screwed up things and you have a lot of problems. And as a byproduct, you know, now our family has these product problems. And so it's like, Hey, how do, how do we get better? How do we all get healthy? And, um, 
And, you know, and that's, that's a huge thing. The programs that are out there as far as specifically whenever it comes to, uh, you know, the chemical dependency and self-medication, you know, one of the biggest ones is Al-Anon, you know, and it's a 12-step program, mm-hmm. and it also provides support groups, uh, you know, and support meetings and meetings online. And, and, and the same, so the same thing, the family heals generally the, the same way that the, uh, that the warrior, the one that's, you know, suffering from uh, chemical dependency. So it's uh it's very just like every family is much different than than all every family heals differently also so there's not really a a cookie cutter like hey if you do these things then it's going to everything's going to work out but what we have seen the most success is when the individual you know gets trained up and then executes what they've been trained to do but then also the family you know whether that involves getting their own counselors, you know, or participating in some kind of family healing or individual therapy for themselves, mm-hmm. so that way the whole family team then gets stronger and is on the same path. You know, Tom, staying with family, and as we get as we're going through the holiday season now, um, any advice uh, that you can share with us and anybody, everybody listening? How can we get through some of these? You know, like the holidays, or they're a live day, anniversary dates of trauma, uh, or you know, friends we've lost. How? Uh, what's your advice to our family members to, with you know how to talk to our vets or how to how to go through it with them? Yeah, for for me, the big thing that comes up is the communication, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of times in my just I'll just stay with my personal experience. Uh, you know, and a lot of times what that translates to me is is that uh, for me to reach out, uh, you know, a lot of times when folks get in a, a you know, a, a not so good way or kind of gloomy or self-pity, you know, there'll be, you know, they're kind of just waiting for someone to, to come and help them out whenever it's like it's in our nature to serve, you know. So so the more that I can reach out, uh, but that would back to your question, the number one thing would be the, to communicate. Uh you know, and to communicate, hey, yeah, I'm having a rough time, or hey, I'm having a good time, or, but that's the key with all of it to me, especially during the holidays, and especially during COVID and all this other crap that we have going on. Amen. It's like we have to increase our communication like tenfold, um, because it's just everything that is going on in the world, and and then in the family, and then in the holidays is very isolating. Uh, which we know that isolation is one of the key problems. Well, the only way that I know to, to break through that isolation period is is by communicating. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like a very simple and whoa, there's got to be more to it than that. But but to me, there's really not because if I'm communicating with someone or someone is communicating with me, then the next thing you know, a conversation occurs, and then after that conversation, then. You know, it. I mean, it might be an invitation to come over or come, you know, I mean, then something happens. But if we're not communicating, then guaranteed nothing will happen. It's very important. You talk about communication, but it's also important to have connection. And so, uh, you know, I, I find that I do this with my friends personally and with my um, vets and their caregivers right. constantly, what I would call a check-in day. You know, mm-hmm. how's everybody doing? Um, I'm thinking of you in a text message. Um, it could be very, very simple, but isolation is is very challenging. And COVID has put a real 
pall over a lot of things. It made it very difficult. There are different rules for everyone. Um, a, a lot of us feel constricted. A lot of us feel very fearful. I, I've been amazed at the spectrum of emotions. And then when you add in sobriety and addiction and PTS and all of those things, it becomes difficult. But communication is more than just talking to someone. It's also real connection and engagement. And so I imagine that's also part of the follow-up that you do with your programming, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And our, that's a great point is what we call a continuation of care. Uh, so mm-hmm. once they, you know, prior to them leaving us, you know, we have, we construct, it's called mission, my life. Uh, so we, mm-hmm. you know, we have in there a whole aftercare plan uh, with steps, with activities, with connections, phone numbers, everything that they're going to need to be successful and to continue to be sober, confident warriors. And then the reach back that we have is that uh, the warriors can reach back to us at any time, but also uh, our alumni coordinators, uh, you know, reach out to them, you know, and then we try and then we create these alumni programming, uh, the Zoom meetings with the WA meetings. Uh, then we mm-hmm. also have alumni uh, meetings uh, online, Good. you know, and, and on site. So that's the continuation of care, like you mentioned, Linda, is just is equally as important as the initial care. Now, do these go on? Do they go on to become mentors for others in some cases? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so, and, and a lot of times they they call them mentors. We call them coaches. We call them sponsors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, on every different category. But you know, that's the beauty of this population. Is you know, it's always about like, hey, how do I help the, mm-hmm. the one who's suffering? You know, how do I serve? So it's just reminding of them of this is who they already are. And then providing those connections and the venues and the accountability uh, of continuing that and then helping the next warrior in need. Now, for those who want to know more information, you would go to warriors, plural, heart.com. And their tagline is strength through healing. Again, that's warriorsheart.com. And Tom is listed there and, and many different aspects of the program that we have not been able to talk about. But one very important aspect that I'm sure people want to know about is that this program is free to them. That they're on the VA Mission Act, pays right. for it, TRICARE pays mm-hmm. for it. And then also we have scholarships, uh, hardship scholarships that can pay for it. So we've never not had anyone receive treatment due to lack of funds. That's something that we're super proud of. Uh, mm-hmm. The Gary Sinise Foundation, many other foundations help us out, uh, but, mm-hmm. but it always gets handled. That's amazing. Les, any questions? Yeah, Tom, I, I, I'm just amazed that you've been able to put this uh, 543-acre ranch together outside of San Antonio. Uh, you know, Same. Put that facility and to help our veterans. I mean, as a veteran and somebody who's uh, done my best to help that throughout, you know, after my retirement. I just want to say thank you for doing this for, for the guys who need it. You know, much appreciated. You're absolutely welcome, Les, and it's my pleasure and honor. But that's what makes the military an extraordinary group of people. So I do want to ask Tom if there's anything else he would like to add that we perhaps have not talked about. You've had your 1300th client. 
you are available 24-7 via phone and the staff and everything is listed at warriorsheart.com. Is there anything we've left out that you'd like to add? Uh, we probably need about three more sessions. <laughs> but nothing on this one, Linda. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's important to note that during COVID, you've also adapted because without... Uh, Without ongoing care and connection, it, it probably would have set you back very, very hard. So I'm glad to know that we do have the technology. It's not the same as being in person, but by having Zoom meetings and ability to have this globally, um, and any warrior can set up their own meeting, you keep the uh, continuum of care going, as, as you put it. So thank you so much for sharing this organization with us. We will post the um, information in our show notes on militarynetworkradio.com. I'm Linda Crater. We've been talking with Tom Spooner and my co-host, Les Davis. We're very glad that you've joined us today because there are programs out there if you seek them. And warriorsheart.com is doing unusual care and is the only one of its kind in the United States today. So thank you for listening to us. Again, that's warriorsheart.com. We'll speak with you again next week with another interesting guest and prospect. Make it a great week. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash military network radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance.